Howard is here to save us. Let's get out of this Sprint special guest line, get $100 off the redesigned Apple Watch 4. With a new line of service, visit the Sprint store nearest you. He writes for the Bleacher Report. He joins us weekly here on the big show. He is Howard Beck. Hi, Howard. Hey, guys. Good afternoon. Sorry to introduce you uh, with that. Uh, have, you ever, have you ever tried a vibrating bed, Howard? I cannot say I have. You mean like the ones in the old hotels where you like yeah. drop quarters in the thing? Do those still exist? I don't know. That probably has gone the way of the phone booth. Let's let's hope so. Probably okay. for for good reason. Uh, Howard Beck is with us. Ninety-seven five and twelve eighty. The zone tonight. Howard Mike Conley makes his uh, his return to Memphis, and it kind of makes this game uh, a, a little bit uh, extra special to watch. Uh, you know, kind of the the face of their franchise for so long uh, return home. Yeah, you know, twelve years in one place in today's NBA is a lifetime. And, you know, it was a pretty great era. I mean, certainly the the, you know, the, the Grizzlies haven't been in Memphis for all that long, but uh, their best years were all with Mike Conley as the foundational piece, uh, you know, along with Marcus Saul. And, you know, you can put some other guys in there, of course, Zach Randolph and Tony Allen, all those guys who made up the grit and grind era. But, you know, th- that team is not who they are without Mike Conley uh, running the show and he, I think, embodied everything that was great about those Grizzlies teams, not just their uh, defensive tenacity and just their fundamental play, but, I mean, really, as you guys are learning there, a really high-character guy and beloved by teammates, a great leader, beloved by the community. I imagine that this is going to be a very, very warm welcome and return, probably quite emotional We'll see how um, Mike Conley holds up under all of that in terms of his play because, I, you know, the emotions are real. And, you know, pro athletes are really great when uh, compartmentalizing when necessary and just focusing it on, on the task at hand and, and competing, and, and he will. But hard not to feel uh, all the feels, as they say, uh, at a moment like this. Howard, speaking of guys like Mike Conley, who's been a voted teammate, best teammate in the league a number of times, how important is that stuff? I mean, because you've probably covered championship teams that might have had some tension on them, might not have been a bunch of guys who were going to hang out together. How important is that factor? It can be. I think it varies team to team. I mean, you know, I covered, you know, those Shaq and Kobe teams that won three championships and went to the finals four out of, of their last five years together, despite all their tensions. So you don't have to be best friends. You don't have to spend every meal together. You don't have to have, you know, great vibes all the time. And in fact, sometimes a little tension can be good for a team, especially when things uh, after you've been successful for several years on end and it can get a little stale and, uh, you know, a little tension helps, you know, keep everybody on edge, keep you sharper. So, you know, you can, you can channel that. And you know, we even saw with the Warriors, this five year run, um, it helped to bring in new elements at times. It sometimes helped that Draymond Green was always stirring it up and giving everybody something to, to kind of focus on and conflicts to resolve along the way. Um, you know, infusing new talent at times. You know, I know, you know, like Kevin Durant's obviously not the common 
version of that. But when you're in, in the midst of a, of a dynastic run, especially, you're just a lot of success. Just having some new blood come in that, that, that you know, uh, needs to, uh, that, that still needs to achieve something. So you, you can see a number of different ways in which chemistry and either good relations or tense relations, you, all of it can be channeled constructively. But yeah, I think when it's all said and done, I, I think you'd prefer that you have teammates that you really like and respect and that you're not fighting with and that you're not suspecting their motives. And I, yeah, you know, look, the, the, the Grizzlies never broke through, but it wasn't because of any lack of character or professionalism. It was, you know, lack of, of high, high end talent. They had some really good talent, but not super, superstar talent. And, you know, I, I would, I would bet that any guy who was a part of that, those teams, probably really treasured the fact that, you know, whatever success they had, 50 win seasons, going to the conference finals, um, whatever, you know, th- there was a ceiling there, but I'm sure they really enjoyed and, and, and were honored to be a part of something that was not just successful at a certain level, but where everybody really did, you know, enjoy each other's presence and where they were, they were all pulling in the same direction. And, you know, look, there are probably tensions along the way that maybe we never heard about. There's always going to be some, these guys spent a ton of time together, but I, I, I do think that, that those relationships, um, you know, are, are, are really critical. And, and, and yes, that, that can foster a winning environment. That, I don't know if you agree with me, Jake, but that seems to be a characteristic that jazz have captured. I think well, so. Yeah. And Mike Conley is a part of that now. But Rudy Gobert, Howard, has a little bit of an edge to him, but he, he does seem to be concerned first and foremost about the team. Yeah, and look, again, it's not that everybody has to be choir boys, and it's not that they all have to get along all the time, and it's not like everybody, no one can ever step out a little bit or maybe have a selfish moment or maybe have a, a moment of lashing out. Like, it can all happen. But it's, it's more the way you deal with it uh, within your locker room and, and, and as a team and with your coaching staff and everybody else. And I think it's good to have at least one guy in the room who's got some edge and a little bit of nasty to him. Um, that's, you know, I, again, I, I think you need all, all, all elements there. And um, if you're going to have somebody who's a little bit of an X factor in terms of their personality, you know, a Draymond Green type or a Dennis Rodman, whoever, um, you can, you know, the, the, the rule of thumb is you can have one of those guys. <laughs> Two can pull apart your team, but you can have one, and, and, and just having one can, can actually be, a, 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 again, a, a productive thing. Howard, I'm excited to see the Jazz take on John Morant tonight. He's uh, so far averaging about 18 and 6. Where are you on him and his uh, capability to be a cornerstone for a franchise? He was my kind of, uh, you know, contrarian pick for rookie of the year before the season started. So before Zion went down even. And I know that, you know, the overwhelming consensus was that Zion would be rookie of the year. And I went with Ja for a couple different reasons, not least of which is that because the Grizzlies are so much further from being a good team, I just knew that he would have a ton of opportunities as a point guard with the ball in his hands and with great capabilities as a scorer, as a playmaker. Um, he, he just, he's so polished already and he, he passes at a really high level and he's explosive. I just thought he'd have all the uh, you know, uh, latitude in the world to put up numbers on a losing team, whereas with Zion, I thought they've got so many veterans on that team and just a lot more overall talent that I thought, you know, they wouldn't necessarily need Zion to go supernova every night. Then he got hurt, and now we'll see what he looks like when he gets back, and will he play enough games to even make a, a run at Rookie of the Year? Um, 
but John Morant was an easy pick for me regardless because, as you guys have seen, the, the kid just knows how to play, and he's super fast and explosive. And you watch the kinds of passes he makes. There are a few guys in the league who make those kinds of passes. Um, just you know, he's got that great court vision, and he's got a, a you know the, the confidence to go with it too. We saw the game winner the other night. Um, I, I think I think the Grizzlies got themselves a great player. Howard, what's cost, what, what has caught you most by surprise thus far? Um, the most by, I mean, I think there's, there's a few different ones. I'm not sure if any of them stand out above the rest. I'm, I'm surprised and disappointed that Sacramento Kings are off to this uh, unfortunate start. Um, now, they were struggling even before they had the injuries, but then Bagley goes down and De'Aaron Fox goes down. That's been kind of a bummer because the Kings were a lot of fun for a lot of last season and I thought this might be a breakthrough year and so it's been it's been kind of a bummer seeing that happen. Um I'm not entirely shocked by Portland slipping because they lost some really important glue guys <laughs> in the off season. Um that can cost you you even when you've got stars at the level of Dame Lillard and CJ McCollum. Um you know that this the the Alpha Rukaminos and and Mo Harkless of the world are really important and I I think they missed those guys. Um, pleasantly surprised, obviously, by the Suns and the Timberwolves, who are both making great strides. I don't know how long they can each keep it up, but it's been fun to see those teams start to, to get some traction. And um, out east, I don't feel like there's any – like the, the east is mostly going to form. The Nets have been a disappointment. The Bulls have been kind of a disappointment. I don't know that anybody's surprising in a positive direction. Like, you know, the Celtics are off to a hot start, but I thought they were good anyway, and, you know, they're they're – you know, obviously exceeding expectations a little bit through 10 games. Um, nothing nothing else has really leapt out at this point. Um, it's, yeah, pretty much, pretty much just the teams I've mentioned. Howard Beck of the Bleacher Report with us. Howard, will uh, Carmelo Anthony be able to help the Blazers? I don't know. Um, he's been out a year. He's 35. Nobody wanted to pick him up, you know, in, in, in the last 12 months. And that says something. Um, he, I just, I, you know, the, the league clearly doesn't feel like he has a lot left to contribute. And I think for the Blazers, it's it's kind of a situation where there's nothing to lose. Um, they're four and eight. They uh, are, are struggling both ends of the of the ball, and just getting another element in there and somebody that maybe takes some of the, the offensive load off of the backcourt um, couldn't hurt, but. You know, they've got severe defensive problems, and Carmelo Anthony's not solving anybody's defensive problems. Even in his prime, he wasn't solving anybody's defensive problems. It's not what he does. And so, uh, you know, the, the word that kept coming up last night when I was at the Knicks game and, you know, as people were reacting to the news coming across, the word from whether it was Press Row or, or Scouts, everybody kind of used the same word, which is desperation. It just feels a little desperate. And, uh, you know, We'll see. Look, the, the guy has, a, has had a phenomenal career. He will be in the Hall of Fame without a doubt. And, you know, it, it, he didn't get to go out on his own terms. And it's good for Carmelo Anthony that, that he's, you know, getting at least this one more shot. What he can do with it, how far that can go, whether he's a net positive for the Trailblazers, I, I, I just don't even know. Howard, that Doncic kid... I think he can play. <laughs> He's incredible. I mean, 
he did you really, think he was going to be that good, Howard? He's he's remarkable. He's remarkable, and he's twenty years old. He's twenty years old. He's twenty years old, and he's uh, nearly averaging a triple double, and he's doing it on high efficiency. His effective field goal percentage is fifty five. Um, he's still got so much more room to grow as a player, and he's already just so darn good. And there, there's a confidence and a swagger there, and he makes smart plays and smart reads. He sets up his guys. He gets a little overeager sometimes or a little too carried away with the deep threes or, or just, you know, you know, the heat check type stuff. But, you know, that's that's youth and that's high talent. When, you, when you're a talented player at, at that level, you know, you're going to get a little over-exuberant at times, and especially when you're young and, and feeling your way. And he's got a great coach in Rick Carlisle, who's, you know, one of the best in this league, who, you know, I'm, I'm sure has to make those make that call night to night, when to rein him in and when to let him just kind of, you know, uh, feel it out and, and, and take his shots. Um, and they'll, the Mavericks will continue to have their ups and downs. But, man, uh, he's a generational talent. He's going to have a very long and spectacular career. Howard, if a uh, if a, uh, let's see, if a wizard came along and said, "Hey, uh, you could uh, switch places with David Fisdale right now," would you say yes? <laughs> um, I don't think I would take any job of any level at Madison Square Garden ever. Um, I've been around here too long to uh, to 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 make that kind of mistake. Um, they pay very well. But there's always a, a you know a, a price you pay for that paycheck, and um, what the Knicks did this week, what their owner Jim Dolan did by sending Steve Mills and Scott Perry out after the tenth game of the season to hold an impromptu press conference before Fisdale even spoke, and to basically put him on notice publicly, was just uh, flabbergasting. None of us have ever seen anything like that. Nobody in this league has ever seen anything like that. It looked panicky. It looked uh, amateurish. And it sent the wrong message. And it gave them four or five straight days of bad news coverage, essentially negative coverage of they're going to fire Fisdale. It's just a matter of time. It, it was destabilizing. It, it, it was just a, a completely destabilizing move, and you could see it in their faces. Steve Mills and Scott Perry didn't want to be up there addressing the media after Game 10 to talk about their 2-8 and eight start. That was Jim Dolan blowing up in the course of the game and then ordering them out there. And it's not fair to Fisdale. It's not fair to those players. And, you know, I was at the game last night, and the atmosphere was great. You know, Knicks fans were having a great time, you know, booing and, and yelling things at, at Kristaps Porzingis for having the temerity to not want to play for a dysfunctional franchise. And they won the game and they had, you know, the, the, the atmosphere was great. And, and for a moment, things seemed fine. And it just showed you how unnecessary it was to take the steps that they did on Sunday in having that impromptu presser because things can change so rapidly. Just cool your heels, let it go, See if the team will turn around on their own. And if eventually you think that things are still not going the right way after 15, 20, 25 games and you want to hold a press conference and do it then. But 10 games in just looks panicky and lame. Man, I, this isn't so much a question as it is just a comment, but maybe we're spoiled here having a classy owner of the Jazz like Gail Miller. But I don't know how the fans in New York put up with Jim Dolan. I, 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 maybe they don't. 
They generally don't. I mean, if you were to do a poll of New Yorker, New Yorkers of, you know, most unpopular New York figures, Dolan's going to be in the, you know, if not number one, he's top three. Um, and that, that, like, that that would be this year, last year, every year since I've been out here, and I've been here for 15 years now, um, and it's it's only gotten worse over time. Uh, he's he's done a terrible job of stewarding this franchise, and it's not always the case that you can always point to the worst teams and point to the owner as being the cause, and point to the best teams and say that the owner it's because of great ownership. It doesn't always always translate, but there's a pretty high correlation. If you're a, a perpetually bad team, you probably have a really bad owner. And that's certainly the case with the Knicks. And I feel for Knicks fans, and most of them recognize it. There are a few, you know, you spend too much time on Twitter as I do, you'll find the Knicks apologists, the Dolan apologists, who will, who will say, oh, well, at least he spends. That's true, he spends. But he makes a lot of bad decisions. He meddles. He's impulsive. He hires the wrong people quite often. He keeps employed some of the wrong people who have who have – survived multiple multiple administrations um and he has prevented some very good people from wanting to to come here and so while people are talking about well the knicks will make a run at masai ujiri yeah maybe they will but i, I don't think masai would take that job because he knows what the knicks are and he, he knows what the situation here is and and i think guys of his caliber would just as soon steer clear they you know he's he's got a pretty good gig where he is Howard, you are the best. Thank you very much for jumping on with us, as always. Enjoy the basketball this weekend, and we'll catch you next week. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Talk to you then.